Digit, a BFRB podcast. Allison is a, a very important person in my life. I, I was looking back into my emails to try to figure out when it is that we actually met, and it was 2011. So that's 10 years. That's um, yeah, a decade, know. which is <laughs> which is really. I think sometimes I can take that for granted. So it really made me realize and remember and, you know, so much has happened in those 10 years. But the context was yes. back in Toronto, um, Allison was my psychotherapist uh, that I believe my mom found through a, um, like I want to say a, a, an integrated health it was, a home, it, was, it was through it was through the homeopathic clinic, right? A homeopathic clinic, that's right. And um and I had the Because the that's where I had my room. That's where you had your room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and you were you you were going to see Ananda at that point. That's right. I had started seeing it. Do you remember a that? I do. And and this was yeah. an an important point where my trichotillomania had become a bigger part of my life. It was affecting me a lot more. It was pretty soon after we moved to Toronto. Yes. And I was in um, just in grade eight, I guess, and about to start high school. So It was a little bit later, though, because, and I remember this really, really clearly, um, because you had had, you'd been for... Um, um, CBD work. Uh, sorry, CBT work. CBT. <laughs> CBD would have been good. <laughs> um, and, and it had really been very helpful to you. But the, the other reason that I remember it so well is that um, mom and dad had already decided that um, your wanting to leave the dance program was a good decision. Mm. And, I, you know, I remember that so clearly because I'm sorry, I'm kind of interjecting. Is that okay? No, no. It's, yeah, of course. <laughs> We've okay. learned from past episodes that my memory is not always very precise about these things. <laughs> I know. But well, mine is me now. <laughs> but this this stuff I really do um, because it's important in in terms of for, certainly for me in terms of um, being a therapist and working with 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 adolescents especially and of course it goes without saying in terms of working with younger children right um, that the family is as much part of the treatment even if they're not present right all the family mm -hmm. dynamics what the family has been through what their context you know all of that stuff and I can I can remember um you know the other day when when you and I spoke it kind of brought it up for me again as well and you said that you were quite interested to know what it was like for me, you know, at that point, had I worked with, with uh, people before that had body-focused repetitive behaviour issues and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, what, what was all of that like? So I guess that's why I'm kind of 
interjecting. Um, and it was very much, it was, it was so, there was so much assurance for me that we were going to be able to do really good work and that you ultimately were going to be fine. And it was all based just on what I knew from the referral. First of all, that mom and dad had you with a, a, a homeopath, that um, that the homeopath had thought, you know, that a little bit of extra support would, you know, would help her work, um, that they had thought that it was a better idea for you to leave the dance program rather than to stay in it and destroy your love of dance. And that spoke volumes. That was so big. And I just thought, oh, yes, okay. Yeah, you're fine. Good We're going to be okay. <laughs> gonna be okay. Yeah. Jason, <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this already, but in my first year of high school, I was a dance major. So it was like every day I would be training ballet and modern. And it was a very intensive program that I had always loved dance, but it, yeah, it was causing so much stress and anxiety that it was a big decision to decide to leave it. Yeah, it was. It was a very brave decision on your part. You know, it was really, really, it was, it was amazing. And, and we can go, you know, we can go a lot in, into that as well. Just it's like a microcosm, you know, in terms of dealing with life, you know. Adele, was that originally your decision? It was a conversation that I had with my parents and it was, it was, I think it was a group decision ultimately, but it was something that I wanted to change in my life. It was, it was challenging because dance, I had been dancing since I was four and I, at some point in middle school in Toronto, there's so many different high schools and you can actually select certain specialized programs that you apply into, which I guess happens in Vancouver as well. But this was a new concept to me because that's not something I had expected to do when I lived in France, sort of like you go to your neighborhood high school. And at that time I was uh, training with a Russian ballet school, Russian ballet teacher, and it was quite intensive training. And I started to think, oh, maybe this is something that I want to do to want to have a bigger part in my life. And I don't know if I ever really wanted to be a professional dancer, but I, I was ready to push myself as far as I could go um, with dance. And then I found myself in this program where the I'm already a perfectionist and the the pressure and the competition between the the students in that program was so was so intense for me that I I started just feeling like I didn't enjoy dance anymore. And I didn't really know why I was in the program anymore. I did have a really good friend, Eleanor, who I think we both, we were able to, to forge a really strong friendship when we didn't necessarily fit in with the popular dance crew. Um, and she actually ended up leaving the program the next year. So I think I'm so grateful that I made that change. It was scary, but it meant that that was a part of my life. I could set aside and I discovered so many other things in high school, like the eco club and just activities that were nourishing me more than, than 
making me constantly evaluate myself against others, right? Um, and for me, I'm convinced that your self-expression that you found now in the, I'm so sorry, I always forget because I, it was so new to me. What's the, what's the dance martial art for oh, yeah. you do now? Capoeira. 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 Yeah. And, you know, when I saw that you were doing that, I just thought, yes, her dance, it's back. <laughs> it's, and, yeah. You know, and I really, I, I think if you hadn't, if you hadn't left that program, I, I think dance would have left you. Mm. I don't think you would ever have gone back to it, you know. That's the awful thing that happens in life so often, right, is that we get, you know, if you think about dealing with a, uh, an issue like you were um it's it's a how how do I say this to describe it properly it's it's what I call do you remember Adele we used to talk about zooming in and zooming out yes okay so when we've got something specific that we want to deal with we have to zoom in because if we don't zoom in we don't get to see the detail and if you don't get to see the detail, you, you, you don't get to understand and appreciate the whole as much as you could. So an example of that is if you're a musician and you go and listen to a piece of music, you, what you hear is completely different to if you're not a musician. There's merit in both experiences. Neither one is better than the other. But one is certainly richer and more informed. So, but it's richer and more informed for a specific purpose. You don't need to write music. Then the emotional experience that you have could be just as rich for you and could be just as motivating for you. Like when I studied um, especially, I mean, I did it for my, you know, in, in high school, but I, I always had to have music. I, I couldn't study properly with, without music. So for me, music was in many, many, many ways like a lifeline. So did I understand much of it? Well, I, yeah, I played piano in high school, so I got to appreciate a lot more. But I mean, these days, I don't even know what chord progressions are. You know, I, I don't hear them like I used to, <laughs> whereas my husband is a musician, of course, everything is, I mean, he'll be sitting, eating, talking to me halfway through, stops a sentence, and then I kind of look, oh, what's happened to the conversation, and then I have to remember, oh, okay, and I say to him, what are you writing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's what it's like, right? Well, if we translate this to dealing with habitual behaviors, we want to understand that you have to go into the detail of it. But if you're going to stay in that detail and never come out of the detail, in other words, if you're never going to zoom out and put it in perspective of the rest of life, it doesn't matter how much detail you get to learn, you're not going to be able to move with it. And that's why your leaving the dance program for, for me was so 
it was such a do you, do you see now why for me it was so it was such a big thing because there was no doubt for me i mean i i'd, I'd met you you know and I, I found this out when i met you so i i could see your physique i could see how you held yourself i could see how you moved and you were a dancer there's no there's no doubt about it you know and I can remember just thinking to myself, thank God she'll preserve that and she'll keep it. Because I've seen so many kids go into speciality programs because they've got this talent and it gets killed. It, it gets completely killed. And that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tragic side effect of what happens in our society at large with so many things. Does it make sense what I'm saying, do you think, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you get fixated on the outcome of dance or like, you know, um, if Adele was saying, oh, I want to become a professional dancer and like the important the emphasis on the like performance or the end product of dance, you lose, you know, the, 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 the process, the joy of actually doing the dance. And it's, you know, it's like externally focused or um you know you're you're dancing for other people and not yourself anymore and uh i think um you know maybe growing up that yes. that's very fragile and you get confused of what your motivations are and i could see like you're saying it gets distorted exactly mm -hmm. and and what you're saying there jason for me that 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 fits perfectly for me in terms of how you know, how I think when I'm working is where, where is this, where is this unique spirit that has come into my orbit that I'm now going to collaborate with? Where, where is it in terms of its own energy? And then, of course, I have to assess where is it in terms of mine too, right? And that's, Part of the therapeutic process often doesn't, it's, that's not the only factor, but it is a big factor in it. But the reason why I, you know, I, I kind of, um, how can I say, I, I, I guess I developed the way in which I work over time, you know, I didn't have it, the way I work now is very different to the way that I worked when I initially started, but there's that central thing that that remained, and that is to try and assess where is this person with themselves and where are they in terms of being able to, as you just so beautifully put, where are they being guided by their own internal energy and where are they focused on the external feedback that they're getting? And what, so where's the balance of that? And what is that doing to them? And so um, before we, you know, when I sat down now, just I thought, let me just sit down half an hour before, and I just started, you know, kind of, Thought, let me just write whatever I want to write. Um, and so I, I came back again to this thing, which for me is so central is 
what is it that we, what, what do we as human beings, what are we? Like really, what are we? I mean, we're partly personality. Um, and our personalities I always think of as in terms of our, they're almost like the vehicle that we have to navigate ourselves through the world. And in a lot of spiritual um, teachings, they would call that the ego. Right? And it's a little bit different to how we generically speak of the ego when we talk about people say, having such a big ego. You know? it's a, it's a, it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's a little bit more encompassing than that. Um, so we have our personality or our ego. Then we have so, so what informs that? You know, what are all the things that inform that? And so for me, it comes down to, like I said, what is this spirit that's come in to my, my kind of orbit? And on a very practical and pragmatic level, that is what, what is known now and can be measured very scientifically as your as the body's electromagnetic field. And the area that the two areas of our body that, that carry a very large energetic field that they can measure. And the one is a brain, but the other is that's much larger by four or five times is the heart. Now when I learned that and I learned that through um, most amazing, wonderful institute that's in the state. It's called the Heart Math Institute. And I, I very happily advertise them. <laughs> they do amazing, amazing, amazing work. Really fantastic work. And they, you know, they do these kinds of measurements and then what is the social the personal social impact and, you know, so they work very much in a way or their purpose is very, really aligns for me in terms of how I like to understand the world is what is our individual agency and how does that inform or how should that inform the social structures, the socio-political economic structures that we set up. And these things are all the context in which people live. And the more you understand your context, when you first go through it, I mean, I wrote, I've just wrote a page like Telegram style, and I went through everything. Maybe I should just, let me just call it up because otherwise I'm going to mess it up. I <laughs> did some homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we? We're electromagnetic beings. We also are hosts to micro, to the, the uh, microbiome. The microbiome is a whole host of microbes, and they it's almost like a paras, um, like a parasitic kind of a relationship, right? They live on our bodies. But they inform our bodies at the most fundamental level. And when we die, they've got to find another place. So they like to keep us alive. But we have to, you know, we've got to feed them. 
And there are all sorts of things that you can go and look up on the microbiome and understand that more and everything. And then that influences our biochemistry as well as the structure and function of uh, our skeletons and, and muscles because those are all things that contribute to the building of the skeleton and the muscles, okay? And muscles include organs, and organs are um, supported by each other as well as by our glands. And our glands are the ones that, that see to our endocrinology system. And all of this influences then our neurotransmitter system, the availability of neurotransmitters, and as well, it also influences the brain structure that will support, or if it's not, like if our biochemistry, which is influenced by nutrients, which comes from, guess where, food, if we don't have all of those things correctly in place, then the rest of our body really struggles you know, to deal with. And then, okay, so then you start looking at um, what is the con- what's the social context within the family, what, is the, um, what are the interactional patterns like between caretakers and baby, between siblings, and then what, what environment does a family live in, you know? So the, all those relationships... And I think for me, the, the important thing why I just felt like I should go back through this is that, that you can look at this and get completely overwhelmed and think, good God, how am I ever going to make any headway with all this stuff that we've got to see to? But what you have to remember is that life really is an absolute miracle because it all depends on the collaboration. And when you've got a collaborative system going, if you influence one part of that system, everything else has an opportunity to change. If you give it enough support, everything else can change. And, and for me, that's important. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You know, um, and, I, and I, uh, I'll just say this. I think that for all of us, I think, I don't think anybody would argue with this, any kind of behavior that feels like it will take over your life at times, that you can't get the better of it. To get the better of that is one of the most difficult things that you ever get to learn to do in your life. That and and learning to be able to be in relationship with people. These are enormously complex tasks. They take an enormous amount of energy. Mm-hmm. But here's the encouraging thing, that with each small kind of win that you get or victory that you get, you're building a savings account. And what you learn, you can never unlearn. Never, ever, ever, ever unlearn. Mm-hmm. Right? I, th- I think what you said about the, the collabor- collaborative aspect of these different 
parts of the body and and aspects of your lifestyle that was something that was a really important learning piece for me through our appointments learning that the focus on trichotillomania that zooming in to the level of how much hair is on my head how many eyelashes do i have that was that level of zoom was not allowing me to look at the the bigger picture and and i think i really learned to understand trick as as a symptom of of other things that were interrelated that were going on in my life and and i learned to to focus on i i mean you would ask me about my dreams and we would talk about the different emotions that i was experiencing and different uh, events that were happening in my life and the focus was less and less on the actual trick i was looking back at our emails and at the beginning um i remember you had asked me to just send some updates about how things were going and this was as we were starting to build that that relationship and um but you asked me to to focus on the the i guess the successes or or things that were that were going well which i think was a really interesting um opportunity for me to shift my perspective but yeah it, it very quickly sort of zoomed out into thinking about noticing emotions and and sitting there's there's an exercise that I still do um which is sitting with a feeling and observing where it is in your body um and I think often what I what I see in the BFRB world can be very very focused on the BFRB itself which I think sometimes can be can cause more harm um because it is so difficult to overcome that's right and it's it's about where we where we get stuck and so this was the other note that i made also was to say remember about this approach life with a both and con- like concept or or guideline as opposed to an either or i mean when you when you look today you look today at what goes on politically because, I mean, we're so we're so inundated at the, you know at at the moment with 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 everything that's been decided or not decided or being done or not being followed through with and you know it, and and the, the 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 pandemic really highlighted this black white thinking in in my opinion and we lose so much from that so 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 much from that so i'm i'm really i'm really glad to hear you know after all these years that <laughs> that that's that's been able you've been able to integrate that mm. and make that really you know very much a part of your of your life now not always easy especially with intense emotions but i think it's it's um over time it's a practice um the other thing and i pulled this out i still have this piece of paper but so at our first appointment you described to me um the you you drew out this diagram to to show to illustrate how in a stressful situation my 
my brain or the pathway that my brain is, is taking um, when I pull my hair is that it's, there's a stressful situation. Pulling my hair acts as a, as a way to release a certain amount of stress or cope in that moment, but then causes more stress because I'm worried about the fact that I'm pulling my hair. So then it sort of feeds this loop, this positive feedback loop of continuing to pull my hair. And you explained to me that um, that's a pathway that has sort of been etched in because of repetition, um, but that there are alternative pathways. And it's about sort of, you know, finding a a better feeling coping mechanism, I guess, um, that can get me out of that of that loop. And, um, I, re- I remember being so inspired because I'd never thought about it that way. Right. And I, um, like drew a color coded version of it back then. And I've kept it all this time because I still find it. I go back to it. Oh my God. And it's, <laughs> isn't that amazing? That's you know, I, amazing. it is. You've got no idea how, you've got no idea how precious this is for me. <laughs> It's a little, and it's on the back of a printable meal plan that apparently I had back then. Um, Yeah, but I I think the reason why it resonated so much was that it was the first time I thought of hair pulling as a coping mechanism my body had developed, which was, you know, was causing some additional stress, but it was one way of dealing with stress. And I, I don't think I had really understood that before. And it's something I still try to remind myself of now. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. So. You know, I'll say something that I hope will make you laugh, too, is that, I mean, uh, I'm 62 now. I still have to remind myself of these things in terms of my own way of functioning in the world, right? And because my body has also got grooves that it, you know, got into, and and they they will still surface and I have to say, it's okay. You know, all right, I can I hear you, I see you. And sometimes I will catch have to catch myself when I'm in whatever it is that I'm doing, for instance, having a cookie and tea at ten o'clock at night instead of having it at nine o'clock in the morning because my liver can cope with it better at nine o'clock in the morning than what it can at ten o'clock at night. You know, I mean, small things like that, which other people might think it's not really important, but for me, it actually is. So just to reassure you, it's it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing journey, right? Yep. <laughs> Something, we just keep working away at it. I um, I was trying to describe to Jason what psychotherapy is, and I realized that I'm, I actually don't think I have a proper definition for it. Would you be able to describe it from your from your point of view? <laughs> okay. So I'll go back to my experience of being um, being a, 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 a client in psychotherapy, Jason. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, the first time I ever went was when I was at university. And I can just remember this huge relief. I was terrified when I walked into the room. I was absolutely terrified. And um, I still remember my therapist's name, although I 
only saw her at university and we only had, like you guys do these days at universities as well, you have 10 sessions a year or something like that that you could do. So when I walked out of there, I can remember feeling this enormous sense of relief that I could um, talk about things that were so deeply seated, I felt, inside of me without having to worry about the, what the impact that it was going to have on the person that I was telling it to. Because I didn't have to worry about whether I was hurting them or whether they were going to get too upset about it, you know, whether it was too much, as you guys say now, TMI, too much information. <laughs> Um, and then, so, you know, I remember that first experience very clearly. And then um, I can remember at one point, so that was when I was in my very early 20s, and then I returned to long-term, proper long-term psychotherapy when I was in my very late 20s. Um I didn't go be I didn't go before again because I just couldn't afford it. I think I would have gone for sure after university if I could have. I would have continued and I would have gone and looked for somebody to go to for long-term therapy. You must remember, you know, in those days, as much as as much as the the disadvantage of the internet is is information overload. And it's not um What's the word I'm looking for? It's not pre-selected information. You know, it's just like a barrage of filtered. That's right. It's like just a barrage of information. But today, I'm, certainly for me, as working as a psychotherapist, I, I, I welcome the internet enormously because I can actually say to people, you know, go and look up what this person has written about trauma and then we will talk about it. So I don't have to do all the teaching of of everything which I think is enormously important because it's so empowering I certainly if I understand why something is the way that it is I'm far more motivated to get in there and engage with it it's when I don't understand that I feel I've got to stand back right so in answer to the question about what is psychotherapy Obviously, it's talking therapy. I think the most important things for me are a reaffirmation of the fact that what you are that there are reasons for why you're experiencing what you are experiencing, and and then you talk about so how else can we Think about this. And then what are the possible alternative routes? You know, so I think part of why I said to Adele, you know, this was so enormously precious for me to, not only that she kept this piece of paper, <laughs> but just that I could, I could see, oh, I actually did, I did it. I did a, I did a good <laughs> job with this. 
first appointment done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, because you don't often get that opportunity. You know, you, you make your own notes as a therapist, but it's not what the client has experience and especially not that you know so much long ago so this is a real privilege for me it, mm-hmm. I think a lot of therapists would be quite envious of of being able to get feedback like this <laughs> um, so I think the other thing that I want to say to you before I ask if there are any questions is is that I thought to myself for one day I, will, I wasn't feeling particularly optimistic at, you know about therapy itself um, because you as a therapist you should you should go through ups and downs in terms of you know how well do you feel that you're doing your work and you know and what is it in the larger scheme of 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 helping people like what is its role and I think its role is powerful but also have to be extremely careful not to think that it is the answer because it isn't. It's one of the answers. It's one of the ways. And, of course, there are very many different forms of therapy too, right? And they're informed by different theories. And I think there's merit to all of them. I think the mistake that people make is is that they believe that there's only one right way. And it's not that. There are different ways for people at different times of their development. I feel that. But ultimately, for me personally, what my therapists over the years did with me, what did it give me? It gave me courage to go through and face whatever it was that I was facing at that time. And if I hadn't become a therapist myself, I most likely wouldn't have stayed in therapy for as long as I did. I stayed in therapy because I needed to make sure that I was, you know, clear because you're using your own perceptions, your own skills, your own knowledge very much when you're in, you know, in the room with a person. And it's very important that you keep up with that experience. Um, and if I hadn't done that, Hmm. I don't think I would have as, for me personally, right, because it's always a personal thing, I don't think I would have had as rich an experience of my life as what I have been able to have. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Allison. Um, I... Uh, in hearing that, uh, one question that I have is, um, I have a friend who she, she works, um, with like very marginalized communities and addiction and homelessness. And, um, like it's on the downtown East side in Vancouver. And, uh, some advice that someone else gave her was you're, you can only help the other person as much as that person is ready to help themselves. Um, absolutely uh, yeah I guess how like but how do you navigate that and like I I think there's a certain amount of like like holding yourself back 
I feel because I think, uh, I, I mean, maybe I have this tendency to like want to like give and help and like, ah, like I see if you just did that, you know, like you want to like open the floodgates and like provide care. How do you, how do you, how do you strike that balance? How do you like rein yourself in? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's one that you have to, I will certainly, I mean, I have to, I, I constantly have to assess that. And remember that a um, little while ago now I said, you know, when that spirit comes into my presence, I have to ask myself, what, where are they? What, you know, what is inside of this person? And it's very easy to say, well, if the other person doesn't want to help themselves, you can't help them. Because you've got to look at what is it that's hindering that person from wanting to help themselves. And it's not a generic thing. So you will have people who are very affluent in terms of that they have all the resources available to them and they cannot help themselves they and they do not they how can I say this they don't they want somebody else to do it for them they do not want to be able to do themselves and then you have to remind yourself that that is the experience that you are having of that person at that particular time so you ask yourself okay so what's going on here And then you start looking at things like um, attachment trauma, which has got to do with initial bonding. And for that, you need to have some information, at least, about parenting. How was the parenting? You know, what happened? What were sibling relationships like? You can tell a lot from what sibling relationships are like. You can tell a lot about the interactional patterns, that's the word I'm looking for, between caretakers and, you know, and infants. But you have to go a step further because it's not only about what the parents were doing to the children, but what the parents experienced in their childhood. And then you have to go and look at what happened with the grandparents. Where were they situated? Right? And you never get you never get all the answers, but these are very important questions to ask and to be aware of that you carry the awareness. Because you will have two people that are homeless sitting in front of you. And the one's environment is equally precarious to the others. And one of them will be able to actually engage with your suggestions or the resources that are available in the community and the other one will not be able to. And so you have to, you have to ask yourself, what is, what is going on here? Now, can you always do anything about it? No. You, you know, a lot of the time you can't. But what's important for me is the attitude with which you meet that in the person. Right, um, because even that will sometimes just provide that millimeter of a shift 
And again, you're doing it. If you think about us functioning as human beings, that we function spirit, body, mind, ego, biochemistry, <laughs> and then interactional patterns. So you're meeting that person at the spiritual level, which is, I, I really like to make it pragmatic and, and practical. It's at that electromagnetic field. You know, when you walk into a room, there's a vibe. Okay, what's that vibe? It's the electromagnetic field that's going on. That's what, that's what a vibe is, you know, which informs emotions, right? And emotions then also will impact that. So there's a huge crossover with everything. And so in terms of your question, what do you, how, like how do you handle it, what do you do with it? You, you have to, for me, what I had to realize was that I certainly didn't come up with <laughs> with being able to conceptualize life. I, 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 like I, I mean, it's just so far from my capacity. So something out there conceptualized it. And if something out there conceptualized all of this, as much sadness and devastation and trauma as there is in life, there is also this absolutely incredibly unspeakable, indescribable beauty, right? And somewhere along the line, I have to respect that all I can do is just meet a person with respect and empathy. And I will not be able to change anything else in their lives. But that one thing I will be able to do for them. And it is enough. And it is important. Okay. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah, that's great. Um, I, th I think it's really nice how you... Um, like saying it's enough, you know, like the just understanding like what it is that you can provide and like, um, you know, what what is practical, what is pragmatic and what is reasonable, you know, for, for the other person, for yourself. And it's it's nice to know, like setting up that boundary of what, like, what am I required to put in today? You know, when I put on my work shirt and I show up at the office, like, uh, what is what is expected of me and like it's almost with within that constraint you're allowed to do good work um yeah so exactly that's exactly it and and that's again that's a fundamental what i would call a fundamental guideline to to living life i have a question so, so building on that, the, you know, setting the constraints and the expectations to, in order to do your work, I personally, and I, I, I had the opportunity to talk to a few different counselors or therapists before I met you. And I mean, I would say that you went above and beyond anyone that I've, I've ever met because if it, it felt like you, you really were interested 
to get to know me to how you've described the the person that was inside of me and like in in such a holistic way which has led us to stay in touch even after ending our our sessions for the last little while or and you continued to talk to me when I moved across the country and so I would <laughs> I, I guess my question for you um and this stems actually from a conversation I had with my roommate yesterday where we were reviewing our personalities test results we we both did those that 16 personalities test where you get the INFJ whatever and um I, yeah yes that's right and so I um I I'm uh my result was I'm an advocate and so there's a lot for the advocate relating to your values and and a lot of feelings and you need to act in line with your with your feelings and your values and in the career portion it was recommending that you know advocates make really good counselors therapists um they they like to help people a lot and David my roommate was asking me you know would you ever consider that and my initial my first reaction was I don't think I could do it just because I feel I think I would feel so invested in the outcome for the other person like I would I I have my empathy sometimes gets the the best of me and that I find it really hard to to then allow myself to separate from the other people so I as a very empathetic person (laughs) I was wondering how you manage to set those boundaries and also take care of yourself when helping other people? I think it's because I, like I said, you know, with my training, I knew that I needed to continue with my, you know, with my own therapy. Um, But as you know, because I've been able to share more of this with you, Adele, my the, the the depth meditation paths that I follow are they're kind of the the crib that my therapy falls into. <laughs> therapy is my baby and the crib is my meditation. <laughs> right? It holds it holds therapy for me as 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 a person and then it also holds the therapy relationship for me in terms of my perspective. Now, because I do that, it doesn't mean to say that everybody has to do that. There are excellent therapists out there that don't have, you know, that kind of avenue. Um, But somehow, they might not have the same language, but they have the same kind of, what would lie behind language? Ethic. So they don't use the same words, but they certainly follow the same trajectory in terms of values, I would think. And values are things that we feel invested in, right? So, and for me, what I've gained in terms of my following depth meditation paths, which I have to completely confess I certainly do not think I've been an excellent student in it in terms of the practicality of it. Um, I've had years of going in and out of meditating regularly. I'm not somebody that's meditated continually for 10 years. 
But it taught me that our bodies are instruments. And the more I look after my instrument, the better it can serve everybody else. So it really installed that in me. Um, was I successful at it? Marginally. Not hugely successful, but successful enough, you know. <laughs> um, the other thing I think that it did so much for me is, again, what I said to you guys earlier about um, this thing about that recognizing that every person that comes has got the courage to walk into a therapy room brings something completely unique that they're not completely aware of yet. Otherwise, they wouldn't be with me, you know. And that I've got the privilege of having a journey with them in doing that. So if I'm going to want to take over that, I'm going to lose the journey completely. Because all it is going to be is a projection of me. It won't have any of the uniqueness of them. And so to protect the uniqueness of them, I have to give them space. And that's boundary. So, you know, it's just so funny as I'm, as I'm, uh, as I'm talking now, because I'm talking to you, of course I'm thinking about, about mom, and I'm sure Jason knows mom's a ceramic artist, right, Jason? You know that about Adele's mom. Um, and I, I was really, I feel very lucky to have been able to have gone to uh, to the exhibitions that she had here when she was working. And you know, when you walk into an, into an exhibition room, you have this experience, you know, and I talk again about the vibe, the energy that it, you know, that it has. And um, the ceramics, I always find it, quite uh, a lot more visceral because it's 3D, you know, they, you, you've got, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not just a painting on canvas and I'm particularly drawn to 3D things. And the one exhibition that she did was, um, she does, uh, you know, the Russian dolls? And so she'd done a whole, you know, series of these and you walk in and it's just this. So as I was talking to you about, you know, when somebody enters into your room and your thing is, okay, so what's going to come out of this? So if I were to walk into, you know, an exhibition and start rearranging it, I mean, it will lose half the value because it's how art it should be rearranged, not how the artist <laughs> <laughs> That's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you, you know, you learn. In the beginning, it's it's very hard. I, I had I had to leave a um, a job that I had in in South Africa because I, I couldn't the, the depth this the the level of of lack of resources. That was there was just 
it was so overwhelming that it started to have a visceral impact on me. And the way in which I, you know, managed to get myself to walk away from it was to say to myself, I can't be of any good way anymore. I have to go and regroup and reconstitute myself and I will come back, you know. When I'm better, I will come back. And in the meantime, somebody else will be able to do my job and they'll be better at it. Mm. So there's always that, you know. You're <laughs> not the only one around. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, I would imagine that would be a, a challenging decision. Yeah, it it it. It it was because, as you say, you get you do get attached to your world. Certainly, I, you know, I'm one of those therapists that do. Therapists are very different in their personalities, also. You know, very very different. And you put a group of therapists together for something, and it's very interesting what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> Mm-hmm. It takes all kinds. <laughs> it takes all kinds. And mm-hmm. and different phases of development. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> maybe um maybe that's our episode. Maybe that's our I don't episode. know. What do you guys think? Um I I I think I'm 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 probably at a good space to end, I think, too. Is that is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I hope we've prepared a canvas. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Right? <laughs> Keeping on the art metaphors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for for being here and just keeping the conversation going. And I know that there'll be, there'll be more. I feel like there's a lot here for us to explore, but um, it's, I also feel very lucky that, you know, you were saying most therapists won't get this kind of feedback. Well, I think most patients don't get this kind of outcome from, uh, an opportunity to, to continue, um, and stay in contact and all of that and that's been really amazing so well you're very welcome and it and 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 i must say that it i I, for me it's a huge compliment it really is and and i'm and i'm very very appreciative of that and i just just so enjoyed talking like this you know so i really enjoyed this thank you so much Thank you, Jason. And I'd love to hear more about your work situation at some point when you're ready. So thanks, everyone, for listening today. It's great to have you. And we are always open to comments and ideas for the show. So if you'd like to reach out to us, it's fidgetpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on our Instagram page at fidgetpodcast. 
And um, yeah, a big thank you to Cheyenne, who <laughs> makes our logo, as well as Thomas, who provides our intro outro music. And um, exciting new advancement is we're going to start a Patreon page. So if you want to um, uh, support our work and want to see more of it, uh, yeah, we'd uh, we definitely encourage your support uh, through Patreon. So uh, look out for that. See you at our next episode. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.